It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 533 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Hope that you're enjoying your summer. We're sort of at the halfway point. And uh, actually, this week I'm on the garden aisle of Kauai, sitting under an umbrella, shaded from the sun, reading a new book, having a good time, but looking forward to getting back into it before too long. So anyway, back to business here today. Joining me on the show for the first time is Robert Keeler. He's the director of consulting at Topo, one of the leading sales research and advisory firms in Silicon Valley. And this episode, we're going to talk in depth about some of the most pressing sales challenges facing SaaS companies. And then we're going to take a look into the future and hear Robert's thoughts about how sales will change over the next three to five years and what sellers need to do to prepare themselves for a changed sales environment. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, please go to andypaul.com forward slash 533. There we provide a time-stamped breakdown of this and all the conversations on Accelerate. Check it out. So, let's jump right into it. Robert Keeler, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you, Andy. I'm very excited to be here today. Well, I'm glad to have you. So, I have a standard question I ask all my guests at the opening of the show, and, and that is, in your mind, what's, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? One of the biggest challenges facing sales reps today um, is trying to accelerate the sales cycle, giving the growth of buying committees or consensus buying, depending on what you call it, Mm -hmm. and trying to be very precise in what they're trying to accomplish, what the next steps are. There are certain elements that we can't accelerate during the sales cycle because it's really about the buyer. However, there are absolutely certain parts of the sales process that we can do a better job of and be more intentional. And specifically, I think of areas like discovery in terms of the types of questions we ask and really mapping out the buying process, for example, early on in the sales process so that when we get to the later stage of the sales cycle, we can really be more in control of that process and make sure that we don't have deals stagnating for months at at the end of a sales cycle. Well, that raises an interesting question because, and I've read something about this just recently in a, a book I was reading in preparation for another interview on the show is, is, and I've interviewed multiple guests about the buying process. And there's obviously a, a range of opinions ranging from, yeah, you know, we need to really map out the buying process to, you know, there is really no such thing as a formal buying process because for most, let's say complex products that an enterprise might buy, they don't buy it that frequently. So they you know, they don't really have it mapped out as a critical process for them because it's, you know, maybe it happens once every several years. So I guess the question is, you know, can you really map out the buying process? Not completely. And that that brings up a really, that's a great point, Andy, because more and more, a, a lot of companies that I work with um, are in new markets or early maturity markets. Right. And in that case, the buyers don't know what they don't know. And in that case, we have to um, be more authoritative, build insight, build credibility early on, and spend more time educating them. So the buying process, you're right, is not going to look exactly the same. And then it's incumbent upon sellers to realize what type of buyer they're speaking with and to adjust their strategy and their tactics to where the buyers are. Yeah, no, I think that's really critical because especially if you're dealing with something that's maybe a little more complex sale at the enterprise level, 
you know, Barbara Weaver Smith has written about this in her most recent book, and which I, a point she made, which I think is really an excellent point, because it maybe just because I experienced it myself for for years, was that the longer the sales cycle, you know, the less predictable the process becomes. And yes. and so I think that sort of a little bit to the point you're making is is that it's really incumbent upon the sales person in charge of the account to to really be able to always sort of understand what's what are the commitments that the customer has to make to get to the end. And, Absolutely. And that may change and the, the time frame between them may may vary, but you still as salesperson, you still need to be able to envision what the end looks like. You sort of as Drucker said, you need to start with the end in mind and work backwards. And it, it may mean that you have to revise it several times, but you always need to keep the end in mind and understand, yeah, you know, what are the series of commitments going to take to get from here to there? Exactly. And you bring up a good point. One of them, which is tactical, and I think one leads to a larger strategic point. The tactical point is that we really have to have an idea of, if I'm really specific, what are the, if you want to put it in strict uh, sales parlance, what are the exit criteria that we're working towards towards each stage of our sales process? And you framed it in terms of understanding what are the commitments that we need to get throughout the process. And that's absolutely true. You need to have good understanding of that. The larger point is it, in terms of what's happening in sales, what I think is really important for sellers today and it's going to become even more important going forward is a tailored, customized sales process um, based on understanding the buyer, based on understanding where they are. And I believe that those teams that can tailor and customize the sales process, including their messaging, the resources they bring in, are the ones that are going to win. We've seen um, a lot of automation through sales technology tools, mm -hmm. automated email scripts, which I see and hear uh, a lot of executives complain about or roll their eyes about. Um, and the sellers that are going to succeed are really going to take the time to tailor what they're doing based on their determination of where the buyer is in their buying journey. Well, I think that's a great, a great point for us to discuss for a bit because one of the issues that I see when working with, with various companies and individual contributors and you know, also talking to experts like yourself and so on on the show is that you know, part, of the, part of the problem with the, certainly in the, the SaaS space is sales processes becoming sort of so codified by the metrics that salespeople don't feel this freedom to really develop their own their own style that enables them to really do an effective job of tailoring for the customer, right? And it's it, it feels like we sort of have to loosen loosen the shackles a little bit to give salespeople the ability to to really develop an authentic style for them that enables them to be more engaged and connected with the client. I agree with you, and and I and here's how I phrase it, Andy, is that to use one of your words, I I really want the sales reps and the sales the, the sales organizations that are succeeding today are focused on what are those commitments. And that's another way of saying we we legislate the results a little bit, but we don't legislate the process. And one of the biggest mistakes that I see junior sellers or junior sales teams make is that they confuse sales steps in a sequence with the sales process. Right. The sales process, for instance, discovery, if our goal is to verify the goals, the pain, the consequences of that pain, and to identify the buying process, 
that may be one, two, or three discovery meetings mm-hmm. that can be run in a variety of different ways, asking a variety of different questions. Right. And the top sellers focus on what's the information that I need to get out of those calls. And they realize it's not just one prescriptive meeting that is run, you know, with these six steps. And then once I finish that discovery meeting, I now new move to the next sales stage. You know, they're focused on what do they need to achieve? And then they have more freedom within that sales stage as you were to get the commitments that they need to know that it's appropriate to move on to the next stage. Yeah, and I would I would sort of twist a little bit what you said, and I think it's just a matter of emphasis. As you know, you're saying they understand the information they need to get during those discovery meetings. Is you know what I emphasize is is they need to really make sure they understand what information the customer needs during those meetings, right? Because you can understand what the customer's requirements are, but the the other side of that coin is you need to understand how what information they need in order to make a decision about that. So it's, you know, we start talking about the context and the insights and the advice and so on. And too often I see uh, reps coming out of discovery meetings saying, yeah, well, I, I know what the requirements are, da, 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 but I have no idea to correlate that to say, okay, well, this is the information we need to deliver in sort of this sequence in order to secure those commitments we need to, to secure in order to get the customer to the end game. Yes, there's a lot of um, push going on out there. Um, And if you look at the ability of sellers, I was just with the sales team and one of their big challenges was um, they just weren't unable to tie the solution back to the buyer's challenges um, to understand whether it was a good fit and um, what additional information the buyer needed before they went and delivered any sort of presentation or demonstration. Mm -hmm. So why do you, and that's not an unusual situation, no. right? I mean, I hear that all the time. I've done over 500 interviews for the show. It's sort of a common thread that sort of runs through. And and why? what are we missing in order to make sure that reps can... And again, I think this gets back to them being a little scripted, as we talked about, is, is you know, they go into a discovery meeting and, and they're sort of doing a checklist of what they need to learn, which is, is relatively superficial on one hand. As you said, sort of a push orientation as opposed to really understanding where the customer wants to be. I mean, it's it's so rare, you know, when I listen to calls and talk to reps, is for them to, instead of just sort of saying what their challenges are, ask them, well, you know, where do you want to be in two to three years? You know, where do you want to be in 12 months? You know, what's keeping you from getting there? And, you know, identifying that gap. Um, and so discovery, in my mind, is, is becoming too tactical and not strategic enough. I agree. And I think that ties back to a bigger issue, Andy, of um, it'll sound very fluffy at first, but understanding the buyer and the buyer's business. And we've been saying that for 20 years in sales, that consultative sellers truly understand the buyer and the buyer's business. I don't see that nearly as much as I would like to. So to be a little bit more specific, what I mean by that is Do you understand the buyer personas? Do you understand the role of the person you're talking to? You know, how they're measured, what a day in in their life looks like, Mm -hmm. what are the key challenges that they are there to help the company solve, what are the key challenges that they have personally, Um, and really understanding, almost being able to walk a mile in their shoes. And, And slight aside, 
um, that's why I think we need a radical um, new approach to onboarding. Because we bring everybody in for onboarding, you know, the first two weeks. And what do we do? We talk a lot about how our company's set up. You meet a lot of different groups. There's a lot of product presentations. I'm not saying that's everybody, but I still think that happens predominantly in onboarding programs. Right. Whereas focus to me of an onboarding program should all about we should understand the buyer and their businesses better than anyone else. And then how that relates to your great point about discovery, Andy, for me is then we're able to be more in the moment and listen for what they have to say and ask short, very open-ended questions such as, where do you want to be to two to three years? And if we understand their business, their answer to that starts to give us um, a viewpoint that we can map to our understanding of buyers in general about where they are at a particular point in time related to certain issues, what kind of information they need, what is it that we need to do that help them? Because it's not about um, our script and giving them a great 30-second value proposition. At the end of the day, it's being able to help them and show that we understand the, the challenge that they're trying to solve. Yeah, and I think your point was right on in terms of of the onboarding. Because one of the things that, that's really implicit, and when, when I talk to a lot of sales leaders on this show, and the comment is made about, yeah, we really need to make sure the you know our individual sales reps really understand the customer. Implicit in that is is the assumption that the rep is going to go learn that on their own, or that it's going to be purely acquired through experience. And while certainly, you know, a, a portion of it is, is I don't see enough companies have that as you talked about as part of the curriculum when they onboard people. I mean, it, it has to be phased because or staged because you know you can't lay too much on people at one time. But when you start sending those people out to make calls, you know, coincident with that is you should be training them on, you know, those various things about the customer that we just talked about. Um, you know, give them context about who they're going to be talking to, the personas, you know, dive deep into typical requirements, whatever we've learned. But it's got to be trained and we can't assume people are just going to pick it up on the job. Yes. And if you look at onboarding programs... Um, what percentage, if everyone went and analyzed their onboarding program, what percentage of that onboarding program do you hear the voice of the customer? You know, do you have a five-minute <laughs> video um, of a buyer talking about their challenges? Or is it a product manager, mar- you know, product marketing manager talking about how your product helps the buyers? Mm-hmm. How many of those onboarding programs actually bring in a local buyer for 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. In terms of onboarding enablement, how many times do customers come in for a brown bag lunch to talk about their challenges and you have the sales team listen and ask them questions? You know, we could spend a whole hour just on this topic. I see a very low percentage of the buyer present in onboarding programs. I was encouraged because I have a client that I'm working with that once a month is having a buyer come in for an hour mm-hmm. and sat in on a few of those and they're fantastic. Right. Because they really give a flavor of the buyer. And that sales team is really starting to incorporate more of the DNA um, in, into their selling and their whole sales process because the voice of the buyer is so prevalent. Yeah, I think that's, that's you know, cheers and kudos for that company that's doing that because it's, it's so rare, right? I, people want to substitute surveys, right? We'll take surveys. That'll tell us all we need to know about the customer or we'll do our, our you know. NPS, and that will tell us everything we need. Our net promoter score, everything we need to tell about the customer. And 
especially companies that are sort of heavily focused on inside selling, one thing that's really missing is they don't talk to the customer enough in person. I mean, not just, hey, Mr. Prospect, but go get in a car, get on a plane, go see a customer. Or alternatives you talked about, bring them into the office and let them talk and you know, tell what their requirements are and what the challenges they went through and so on and so forth. That that part really is missing. Yeah, it's it is missing, and you bring up another interesting issue. Um, and first, I'll say one of the things that helped me in my own sales career the most is I became a uh, a product. I was in charge of a product line, mm-hmm. and that company typically promoted sellers to. The, um, to be product managers. Right. When I was a product manager, I spent four and a half months out in the field because that was a big edict of that particular company. Right. And when I was doing product management, I'd ask much wider ranging questions, such as what are you trying to accomplish in two to three years? Where do you think this particular field is going? If we peek ahead five years from now, what's going to be more important? What's going to be less important? And I wasn't trying to sell. I was trying to figure out what we needed to develop in that sure. market. And in the process, I found I became a much, that experience helped me become a much more effective seller because I took a much different perspective with the buyer. The second thing that I want to touch on, you brought up a really great issue about spending face-to-face time with sellers. Right. And you've probably seen like lots of other sales experts that um, more and more, you know, we have inside sales teams where your traditional bag carrying account executive that was out in the field, you know, 340 days of the year um, is less prevalent today. You have more what I'll call hybrid account executives. Mm-hmm. They're inside, they use a lot more technology, and they occasionally go out to visit the customer. And I think that we've almost gone too far on the other side and that some of those hybrid account executives for major milestone conversations need to be out in front of and talking to the customer face-to-face more often. It's sort of like when blended learning came to the learning community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It used to be all, let's have a four-day face-to-face instructor-led training. So two sales used to be, hey, we're going to do all of our sales outside face-to-face. And then where learning went was, hey, you no, know, there's a couple of things we can really automate and information that we can treat through automated systems um, and then we'll focus the face-to-face session on only those um, matters that are really important where we get to practice skills. And yeah, so, I, too, I think companies need to start focusing back on for major milestone meetings. You really need to conduct those more face-to-face and be out in front of customers. Yeah, I'm thrilled to hear you say that because I wholeheartedly agree. And it, I find it somewhat, you know, I don't, I don't say ironic is necessarily the right term, but but I look back at my own experience in sales, and I was for a long period of time was selling very large, complex communications systems that you know multiple millions of dollars in many cases to customers overseas, and I might only see them three times before we closed a multiple million dollar order. So, you know, it's like today, it's it's yeah. If you only have to go out and visit at somebody, you know, two or three times, that's not too much, and you can still. Get accomplished is exactly what you talked about. Getting accomplished in terms of being in front of the customer, really understanding, because there's a huge difference in talking virtually versus talking in person. I mean, yeah, we're better at it, but it's it's there's still you're going to learn more because you can get up. You know, oftentimes you'll be with a client. Nice morning. Yeah, we'd be with a customer and we'd stand for the meeting and go visit somebody else. 
right? We're going to walk to a different office, you know, talk to one of their colleagues, you know, somebody that, that we wouldn't have necessarily talked to if we were going to get on a, uh, you know, go to a meeting or something like that. So there's so much value in it. I agree. I'm happy to hear you talk about the fact that we've gone too far in the other way. Yeah. And I think, the, you know, your, your example is a great example. And if I had to pinpoint just to generalize, though it's very specific to each company and the buyers you're working with, um, I would say if you want to focus on the major milestones where we should be thinking most heavily about being face-to-face, it's one point in the beginning, in the middle, and towards the end. In the beginning, because it's important to develop that relationship. And that also brings up a larger issue that I see happening in sales is that I think more and more we're going to see um, Billy Ball come to sales. There's going to be a <laughs> real divergence. Yes, exactly. There's going to so, be a real divergence between the old school relationship sellers and the new schools that's leveraging data and analytics um, for their sales efforts. Yeah, so it does bring up this whole issue of of you know future sales, AI, machine learning, data. Yeah, one of the problems with data. There's good and the bad news, right? Good is, wow, I've got data. That's I'd something intelligence of some level I didn't have before. But there have been volumes written, and more will be written, and I've had guests on the show talking about it, is that we are just pathetic at understanding data and using data. And you know, there's plenty of examples. And I had a, a guest on the show called John Johnson wrote a good book about uh, i think it was titled misinformation how people misuse information and because it's being presented in our daily lives right i mean so much more of the journalism we read is got graphics associated with it and so on is you know we've all got these raging confirmation biases which really sway how we look at look at data and i see examples of this all the time with with sales organizations that have interesting groups of data or data sets but use it in a very sort of lazy fashion yeah. So the question then becomes, you know, who, you know, what are, what will companies need to do to leverage that data, and how do we get away from the capturing mounds and mounds of data that that are never used? And you mentioned there's data biases, and then there's also the, you know, attention scarcity disorder mm-hmm. that is prevalent across all businesses and all functions today, with the amount of information and communication that's coming at people. I was just going to give an example of a report yeah. I saw. There's an article that somebody published, and yeah, on the Facebook, a good, good article talking about uh, data based on analysis of calls, of how many, you know, top performers, how many business issues they discuss with customers during a a typical discovery call. But when you really drill down to it, and there's, you know, there were 20 questions I could come up with to help try to create some context around the the data, because yeah, you know, there was just sort of too much of a blanket statement that just didn't apply, right? I mean, I, not to bore the, the audience with the, those questions, but I think that's part of the problem we have is, is we look at data and we use it unquestioningly, unquestioningly, as opposed to really questioning what it's really telling us. And once we can become more adept at that, then I think it starts becoming having a lot more value. Yeah, where, where I am hopeful, and I've seen some potentially interesting applications of, you know, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. if we is a word that is in vogue these days. Sure. Is where sales managers and sales leaders are applying it on a personalized basis. And I spoke earlier about the personalization of the sales process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think 
there also needs to be, and, and I'm starting to see a shift towards that, um, much greater personalization in the coaching and training going forward. So where you can use analytics or artificial intelligence to get, you can use that to get further with an individual seller. And I think that has some exciting application versus blanket statements where you go into a room of 20 people and tell them that they need to do more listening rather than talking <laughs> on a discovery call. Exactly. Well, I think that, that to me, one of the real key points as we look toward the future and you know, the greater adoption of some of these technologies, we're talking about AI, machine learning, and so on, is that it seems to me, yeah, the coaching certainly is, is one of the things, yeah, personalization perhaps, Certainly, there's a lot of repetitive tasks that you know AI could take off the plate of the salespeople to free them up to invest more time in customers, understanding the customers, the products they're selling, and so on. And I think those are really, really crucial. But I always sort of come back to um, you know phrase one of your co-founders, Scott Albo, you know, talked about is the the uh, sort of uniquely human sales qualities that people have that are still going to be important, if not in some degree, almost more important than they are today, is being able to master making a connection, engaging with someone, asking the right questions, and understanding the context of the answer. And that's actually, to my mind, that's actually become more important as, as some of these technologies come to bear, because that's really what's left for the sellers to really master. Yes, and technology can only take us so far. Because some of the things you've just mentioned, I, I believe, like Scott, are essential to sales. And those are the areas and still in which I still see a lot of gaps, for the most part, across sales teams. Yeah. And I think that, that for people looking toward the future, and they hear this talk about AI and machine learning, is my word of advice to them is, yeah, go back to the fundamentals again, right? You know, how do you how, practice being mindful and being present when you're with a customer? This is this something that drives me nuts and something that seems so simple. We talk about things about, you know, I did a survey of a group of inside sales team, close to 100 of them, uh, when I was presenting to them is, is, you know, how many people keep their cell phones out on their desk when they're making their calls? And they all raise their hand. And I said, well, how many of you will look at the screen when you're in the middle of a call if you get a, a notification of some sort? Or the phone rings and they all raise their hands. It's like that that attempt to multitask is taking your focus off the customer in a way that you know that science has shown that very conclusively that that you know reduces your productivity, reduces your attention span and your focus on the customer. You know, learning these basic selling behaviors becomes more critical. It's critical. And if you just look at their ability to understand the business, have confidence to um, ask the right questions or the confidence to draw the customer out about where they are, the ability to then tie your solution back to the challenges that you've uncovered or back to where they are in their state related to a particular issue, um, the ability to then put together a proposal that truly speaks to their business challenges, um, those basic skills um, sometimes seem to be forgotten um, amidst all the technology. And I do believe that those core skills and needs aren't going to go away. Yeah. Well, I said, I think, I think it become more important because the way technology will work, if it takes care of a greater portion of what 
you know, let's say the selling process, quote unquote, is, yeah, the way you're really going to differentiate yourself in the eyes of the buyer is through you as an individual. And, you know, that's a large portion of the buying experience or the customer experience in the buying process. So to me, people should be doubling down on, on this and worry less about the technologies and the processes and so on, because this is a part of the sales process they can control themselves. Yes. And, and the good news or the promise of technology is that I think it can do even a better job of automating all the information gathering mm-hmm. going in the future, and putting it into those systems so that five, 10 years, we won't have as much of a uh, crisis or people chasing the holy grail of trying to put everything they're doing into a large monolith CRM system. <laughs> well, we're seeing some steps in that already, right? So Yes, exactly. And the... The other interesting thing that's happening, I think there is more of a focus on the environmental system to help sellers, which is great um, because research has shown that 70 to 80 percent of the key performance factors or inhibitors are typically environmental, yet over 50 percent of the in- interventions are focused on the individual. So in other words, a lot of times they, a company will have a lot of problems with the systems needed to support the reps. And yet where they focus their time and money is on fixing or changing the individual sales behaviors. So the good news is I think there's a lot more focus on how do we coach better? How do we enable better? How do we make them more productive by not having them put information in, you know, five different systems or have to repeat it in three different places? We're not forcing them through technology. We're able to make it much more efficient for them to get the content they need. And then once we've done all that, there's still the focus that you brought up and highlighted, which is sellers need to focus on the fundamentals, and that becomes critical. Well, so with the little bit of time we have left, let me ask you a question, because this is, you know, we're talking about more technology into sales. It seems like there's a gap. And I mean, I haven't really seen that there's any data that shows that there's a issue I bring up repeatedly on the show is is that the shows that this the tools that we're using, you know, our our sales stack, are really making a difference in terms of overall productivity of the individual. I mean I haven't seen anything. I mean I want in fact when I see this or typical reports that come out about sales performance, sales productivity, what we're seeing is in terms of conversion rates, at least in the SaaS business, appear to be falling. But in other cases, a Forrester reports that you know B2B close rates are dropping and CSO Insight talks about you know sales rep performance. You know, this is sort of a, again a data point that's has to be taken in some context, but you know, less than 50% of reps are making quota. And so it seems to me like the gap is with this technology that we're using is that while it's useful for the salesperson, none of the technologies are customer focused, right? None of them that we're bringing into the space. I haven't seen anything that says, look. You want to use this technology because it's going to help your customer make a better decision quicker. So we're so we're still so we talk about it have to be customer focused, but when we so much of the conversation we have about sales these days is all about sales as opposed to the customer. So how's our tech? Where's the technology going to come that's really going to help the customer? Other than what you know exists out for you know search engines and and review sites and so on, but what are we doing as a seller to help them? That's a that's a great point. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out going forward, Andy. Um, it's a great point that you bring up, and I'm in agreement with the issue there. Um, I don't necessarily see the immediate solution on the horizon. Where where I see the issues, I've had many conversations 
with um, global VPs of sales operations at Fortune 300 companies. Mm -hmm. And they'll talk about the fact that what's happened is they now have 100 or 200 sales tools. Now, we can quibble about whether they're categorizing them in the right way. Right. But the, the point is valid is that they have way too many tools in the last couple of years. What they've really worked to do is find out what are the ones that the sellers are really using and get them down to the top 15 or 20. And even then they're challenged to do so. And yet most of those tools are about improving seller productivity rather than um, increasing buyer productivity or um, accelerating the buyer's knowledge so that they can make a decision that's the right thing for their business. Yeah, well, I agree. And I thought that's our last point is, is always struck by a, a quote from a book Jeffrey Colvin wrote that talks about you know, the ability of a company to, you know, based on his research, the ability of a company to quickly gather the information they need to make a good decision with the least investment of time and effort possible is viewed by that company, by the buyer, as a strategic process. Because the faster they can get it done, you know, especially if they're buying something that's you know, strategic, their business, something that's going to help their sales side or is, you know, somehow going to help their bottom line, they want to deploy it more quickly. You know, every day that they miss is, is perhaps a lost edge against their competition. So you know, I don't, sellers never really think about that, 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 yeah, the buyers really have an, input, an incentive to do this from a business standpoint as quickly as they can. They do, and we also, you know, buyers also need to make the right decisions. So it's not always just about accelerating the right time because there's lots of cases where the buyers aren't sure what approach they need to take. Oh, sure. But again, so the qualifier there, though, was a good decision. And this is another area we could spend a whole day on talking about is is too many sales reps are focused and sales teams are focused on saying the customer has to make the best decision, which is not what people do. They make good enough decisions. Yes. And so... Part of what we do as sellers is we don't look at our process from the standpoint of saying, hey, is this, is this overkill? Let alone, you know, we start with, is it adequate? But then, on the other hand, I think we oftentimes have the case where it's, it's overkill. Yeah, and that gets into, uh, in my mind, not only sale, but um, implementing. And, and obviously, implementation becomes more important in a SaaS world. Sure. And, well, we probably we won't have time to talk about it today, but there's you know the whole issue of customer success mm-hmm. and how that plays. You know, is already playing a much more substantial role in the success of SaaS companies. Oh, yeah. um, and and there's a whole number of areas where we can improve on the customer success side which will also make our customers more successful and hopefully start to address some of that overkill because sometimes we are um, doing too much and the implementation is too complex for what they need to do to succeed. Right. Well, good. Well, Robert, thank you for joining me on the show today. So tell folks how they can find out more about uh, you and Topo and how to connect with you. Well, they can go to the Topo website, which is www.topohq.com. Um, you can find me at LinkedIn, Robert Kaler, K-O-E-H-L-E-R. I'm the director of consulting for Topo. And uh, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, just send a personalized message um, letting me know how we can help each other. And I'll be happy to connect with you there or get on the uh, the Topo website. And you can find out more about the things that Topo is doing and sales development, sales and marketing there. Okay, excellent. Well, Robert, again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Andy. I've enjoyed the conversation. And friends, thank you for joining me again today. 
please come back. Join us again tomorrow. Another great episode of Accelerate. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Mm-hmm.